Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, everybody. It's Brad Williams. You're listening to the Scotty Sports Show, where the takes go down smooth like a beer and brat. Enjoy. All right, everybody. Welcome to a brand new edition of the Scotty Sports Show. I'm your host, MD Lovelace. Jeff is not available tonight, um, unfortunately. So it'll be just me and my special guest um, alone tonight, which is okay because this man has a lot to talk about. Um, I was joking before I'm bringing him on here. I don't know if I'm supposed to call her Dr. John, Dr. Michaels. He said, none of that's relevant. I said, how about the number one draft pick? And I think we decided that's okay. So without further ado, he is none other than John Michaels. John, thanks for joining me tonight. As we were joking uh, before we brought you on here about the uh, COVID vaccine has got me sideways. And you were saying you've had a, a family member also have that same uh, same issues. So at least I'm not alone. <laughs> no, it's really common. A lot of my patients who have gotten their doses have been knocked out for a couple of days afterwards. And it's just the immune system kicking into high gear, doing what it's supposed to do. So uh, it's actually a good thing that you're you're reacting to it the way that you are. Huh. Interesting. Yeah, I've I've heard a lot of it being on the second dose, not so much the first. So it is uh, interesting to, yeah, have it after the first dose because nobody else seems to have it. So it's been interesting. So, John, tell everyone at home what you've been kind of up to. Obviously, you came in here as a rookie out of University of Southern California, who, by the way, looking at my stat sheet here, um there have been quite a few southern california guys coming in after you some notables weirdly enough too if you look at when they bring these guys in they bring you in we win a super bowl we bring in clay matthews and nick perry we win another super bowl i i don't know maybe we should just draft a a southern california guy every first round and we'll be okay we're gonna be all right you know it's no coincidence and you know that Mike Holmgren was a USC guy he was a quarterback at USC so I know at that time he he looked pretty favorably upon uh bringing in Trojans and um and it's worked out there's been uh a lot of successful guys who come out of USC to uh, make a real impact in the National Football League and and Trojans won a lot of Super Bowls so uh, and when you talk about Matthews, you know obviously one of the all-time greats so yeah, it's definitely not a bad problem to have at all. We we definitely don't mind Super Bowl uh, championship trophies here in Green Bay. No, no, it's it's named the Lombardi Trophy for a reason. So, John, what have you been up to since the playing career? Well, you know, my playing career didn't quite turn out the way I wanted it to. I had an injury. I actually had several injuries throughout the course of my career, and uh, one in my third training camp that ended my NFL career. So when I had the plans of coming into Green Bay, I wanted to be one of the all-time great offensive linemen in Packer history. My goal was to be an NFL Hall of Famer. And uh, and life had a different plan for me. So I had that really severe knee, knee injury in my third training camp. I uh, had six surgeries trying to come back to play in the NFL. Um, I got traded to Philadelphia in, in my fourth training camp, still struggling with the knee, and I, and I really couldn't play when I was in Philly. The knee was already done. And 
through the course of having all these surgeries, I was trying to make sense of my life going, you know, all I wanted to do was be a, a player in the National Football League. It was all I had dreamed of when I was a kid. It was all I had really prepared, prepared for in life. And now I had to kind of pick up the pieces of the shattered dream of the NFL and figure out what was next. And the injury and having the multiple surgeries and recovering from it, you know, inspired with me. I said, you know, all I wanted to do was play football. An injury took my passion away from me. It took my dream away from me. If I could keep that from happening to someone else in their life, that would make this all worthwhile. And that's really what inspired me to go to medical school. And I had no science in my background. You told me you're going back to school right now and working on digital media technology. And, you know, you've got a passion, obviously, that led you to go back to school. And, and mine was really, my life was devastated by this injury. And, and I didn't get to have the NFL career I wanted to have. And so I had to go back and do all my science courses. I went back to college and, and did, uh, you know, physics and chemistry and biochem and organic chemistry. Took all these courses so I could take the MCAT, which is the medical entrance exam, and uh, apply to medical school. And ended up going to medical school at USC. Uh, did a residency in, in uh, radiology. And then did a fellowship in minimally invasive pain management. So I do minimally invasive spine and pain, um, using minimally invasive procedures to treat injuries and treat pain so I can keep people living out their dreams and their passions pain-free. Well, I'm shocked when I had my uh, L5-S1 disectomy. I'm surprised Doc McKenzie didn't recommend you to go get my stuff done. So You should have come out to see me. now. And, and Doc McKenzie did one of my knee surgeries, so it's so great that he's still around there treating uh, treating folks. And he's a great, great doctor and was one of my inspirations. Yeah, they have a, a great medical program out here in Green Bay. I don't know how much you still follow around this area. Um, but guys like Cam Newton were getting their surgeries out here. They just had uh, Patrick Mahomes just got his ankle done out here. So it's yep. kind of cool to see that Green Bay is now taking a forefront, being as how many years we were kind of the laughing stock of, all oh, medical or, oh, Green Bay is so big. But now you get these major, major athletes. I think they said even Russell Westbrook was one of the guys out here at one point too. So they've had some huge prominent names in the uh, sports industry come to little Green Bay for this. I love to hear it, and I love to hear that they built that kind of program there because obviously uh, sports and football in particular means so much to that town. And so to create an atmosphere where people are going to come in and, and have surgery and recuperate from injuries so that they can get back to playing sport, it all makes sense. So when was the last time you actually got to check out Green Bay, John? Have you seen the new Titletown District and the new Bellin Building, some of that stuff that they've built, or has it been a little bit? We were back there um, – I think two years ago, we had a 25th anniversary Super Bowl autograph signing and uh, made it up to Green Bay then. The last time I went to a game was probably four years ago. We took the family back and, and uh, you know, now that my kids are grown, they can appreciate a little bit more where they were born. We took them by the, the house that they were born in and, and then took them around the stadium and showed them all the new development that's been there. And it, it is really incredible. I mean, the town is a different place from when I was there back in 1996 through 99. And, um, and it's, it's really amazing what they've done with the stadium, with that district, like you're talking about. And, um, you know, I'm looking forward to coming back this fall and getting to celebrate with my teammates again, uh, as we, I can't believe it's 25 years since we won that Super Bowl, And, uh, you know, in some ways it feels like yesterday. In some ways it feels like a whole different life. 
Yeah, it was cool because when you think about it, when you were there, I mean, I was still a rug rat yet. Sorry to make you feel old there, John, but so not I, was, animal. Okay. <laughs> I was still a rug rat, but the old green stadium and that giant hill. Yeah. My goodness, for you players and as us young kids, that was not a, a fun experience trying to run up and down that giant hill, especially when guys like Gilbert and Reggie are out there breaking bikes. You seem to do all right. I don't, I think you might have had one, right? I remember right wasn't there a, a bike that you might have messed up a little bit or were you no pretty- I actually never did make a, break a bike okay um, I did have a kid steal my helmet once but uh, <laughs> yeah which was an interesting tale but no never broke a bike um but that's the great it's one of the great all-time traditions in sports that training camp tradition of riding the bikes down to the practice field and and the fact that that still goes on you know when you talk about a town and, and a relationship with the fans, there's no better relationship with fans than the Green Bay Packers have with their fans there. And, and that's one of those really intimate moments where you get these these kids who get to ride along with their her- heroes on their bicycles. And the, the tales that you get to tell from that, um, it, it really is what um, makes it such a special place to have played. Do you still remember who your bike kid was or did you ever kind of keep in contact with him at all? Or were you kind no, of just, uh, you've changed it up a little bit. Yeah, I changed it up. I never had one bike kid. Um, at that time it was always like, I want to give everybody an opportunity, you know, to, to run alongside and, and get to ride their bike. And, and so it, it was kind of neat that you got to, to meet up with so many different kids in the community and, and, um, and just touch their life in, in even the smallest way of just, Hey, I had a Packer ride my bike today down to the practice field. And you wanted to give everybody that experience as much as you could. Well, and the interesting thing is too, you talk about, you know, people kind of coming from all over the people that aren't here in green Bay don't understand it. I mean, there are people from all over the world that come to these practices just, uh, I mean, they'll buy a bike at Walmart or shop go at the time when it was still around buy a random bike for the day have a guy ride it. And that was it. Like they went back on the plane. That was it. They bought a bike literally just for that occasion. So it, it was interesting to see some of the stories that people have brought forth. Yeah. Cause it's such a unique experience. There's no other place that you get to do something like that. I mean, most of the time the fans are kept so far away from the players, except under really controlled environments where they're going to have like autograph lines set up. And this was really the fans amongst the players and, and, and really getting to have those kind of intimate moments of, of, you know, riding a bike and, and just to say, Hey, that player rode my bike. That's so cool. And I know as a kid, like I loved the NFL and I, you know, I grew up in San Diego and loving the chargers and guys like Dan Fouts. And we couldn't get anywhere close to those guys when I was a kid. So, so to see that kind of relationship with the town and with the fans, that's, that's what makes green Bay such a special place. So you mentioned a kid had stolen your helmet. Did you ever track down that helmet or what did the team do? I found out really quick how deep the security runs in the NFL because they tracked that helmet down to like Iowa and they found my helmet. Like there's some like secret service that is involved (laughs) with the NFL that is way above my pay grade. And they did, they tracked down and found my helmet, found who, who got it and, and got it back to me. It was crazy. Wow. That's impressive. Especially when you look at the, the old tin stadium to today. I mean, Today you can't even sneeze without somebody watching in the sky. I mean, it's wild. But, yeah, to hear about that back in that day with – I mean, people were just literally going up to the stadium, ripping part of it off and taking it home as a souvenir. And, you know, they were selling the turf sale, if you remember that thing. I do. In fact, I've had a couple fans – it's amazing. Packer fans are everywhere. 
And I've, I've had Packer fans here in Dallas say, I got a little bit of that turf sitting on my man. Oh, nice. Yeah, it's really cool. Nice. So I saw, partially saw the bling on your hand if you want to show that off. That's all. Oh, yeah, that's, that's why we played the game. Um, and uh, I wear it to clinic. I've had so many patients. In fact, you know, I treat pain. So I'm seeing people on their worst day. And, and, and this brings so much joy to people's lives. In fact, it makes them forget about their problems, forget about their pain for a little while. They always want to ask me about, oh, what was Brett really like? You know, talk about Brett Favre. Give me a good Brett Favre story. Tell me about Reggie White. And, uh, and so anything I can do to help people relax a little bit. And, and, and there's, a, there's just a cool factor to that. I mean, oh, yeah. when, when you get to take the ring off and hand it to someone and, and they're just – in awe for a little while about, wow, I, I never even thought I'd ever see a Super Bowl ring. And, and I was the same kid. I didn't know that I would either. And, and to have won one and get to actually put it on my hand every day is, is an incredible honor. Well, not only just win one, but getting nine starts your rookie season after Rutgers went down was pretty darn impressive. I mean, yes, you're pick number one, but I don't think you ever expected in there that quick, that soon and have such an impact that you did here in Green Bay. You know, it wasn't the plan. They they wanted Ken to start that year, and and I had only really played one year at off of, of offensive tackle at USC. I was a defensive end for the first half of my career at USC, so I was a starter for one season. And the plan was go in, learn how to be a left tackle in the NFL from Ken Rutgers, and and unfortunately, Ken had a knee injury as well that that uh, sidelined him, and I was forced into the starting lineup right off the bat, and. You know, the hard thing, I, I suffered an ankle injury in training camp and, and had to recover from that. So I missed the first I, – I was pegged to be the starter right off the bat, but Gary Brown filled in nicely. And then I came in and replaced him, and then I suffered a knee injury. We we played the Bears, and I, I tore a ligament in my knee, missed the next game against the 49ers, and then came back and started again. And, um, and it, it was incredible to get to be a starter – um, for a portion of that season on a team that was destined to go to the Super Bowl and playing with legends like, you know, Brett Favre and getting to protect his blind side and having the opportunity to be named to the NFL All-Rookie team that year. And, you know, the Packers named me their Rookie of the Year. I mean, there were some incredible honors that came with that. And it, it seemed like even though I had some rocky points in there with, with struggling with injury and, and uh, you know, getting replaced in the playoffs with Bruce Wilkerson coming in and, and starting the playoffs in the Super Bowl. And so not getting to start in the Super Bowl left tackles I had dreamed of, but um, there were some really incredible moments there. And it looked like my career was headed in the trajectory I wanted it to go. And I just couldn't stay healthy. Um, you know, that second year came out, started the first five games of my second year and was, I had dislocated my thumb in training camp and was in a cast for my first five games. And then um, I, I tore a ligament in my knee against uh, a, against Minnesota and then re-tore it again against Detroit, which sidelined me the rest of that year. Um, and it was just that frustration of, man, why can't I stay healthy? And, you know, I, I wrestled with that for a long time. Um, I, I was, I'm a man of faith and, and, you know, that was a really important part of my life, even as a player and really struggled with God. Why, why can't I stay healthy? You know, this is my dream. You know, this is what I've wanted to do. And, uh, there's a guy named Tony Robbins. I don't know if you're familiar with Tony Robbins. He's a motivational speaker. Um, Tony has a saying. He said, life happens for us, not to us. We're not victims of our circumstances. And I, and I felt like a victim. I mean, I just was, why did I get hurt? You know, I, I didn't want to be a, a first round bust. I didn't, you know, I wanted to be a legend in Green Bay. I wanted to have this amazing career. 
and I am having an amazing career. It just wasn't the one that I had envisioned for myself. And, and, you know, being able to look back with the wisdom now and, and, and look at those incredible moments, like you said, a rookie season where I started nine games and got all these honors and won a Super Bowl. Um, man, that was an amazing experience. But life had a different plan for me. And, and I get to live out that dream every day now. And it's, it's pretty incredible to see that from this end of the spectrum. Right. I was going to ask you about that. I mean, I remember as a kid, you'd always sign your autographs with your, your biblical inscription. It was you, Reggie White, uh, Timmerman, and then uh, I mean, it was one other player that you guys took pride in, you know, writing all those biblical verses. And it didn't matter how many autographs you signed, every single one had it on there. Every single one. Romans 8, 28. And it says, God works good for all things for those who love him. And uh, there's times I regretted writing that because I learned that lesson the hard way that he was working good. You know, I, I didn't understand the good in, in my NFL career ending way before it even got started. Um, but it's amazing that I can look back now 25 years later and really understand that. Yep. God worked good through that injury. And, and even though it was one of the most devastating things that could have ever happened in my life, losing my NFL career and losing my dream of, of playing in that league. Um, I can look back now and go, yeah, he was, he's worked a lot of good through that. And I'm grateful. Yeah. So mentioning on that too, a little bit, I mean, being number 77, being a first round draft pick, you kind of know where I'm going with this one. There was a guy right before you that didn't do too hot. So, uh, I, I will probably say you definitely did above and beyond what he ever did. Um, and you you didn't have controversy behind it, which is a good thing too. So. There's a couple stories behind that. I remember when, when I got drafted and I was wearing that number. That's what I, I wore that number in high school. I wore it in college um, and then naturally wore it for the Packers. And I remember fans coming up to me going, you know, there's something with that number. Uh, <laughs> Tony Mandrich wore that number. And, and interesting enough, people forget this. Tony Mandrich went on to have a pretty good NFL career. Um, you know, when he left Green Bay, he went to the Colts and he was a starter for the Colts and actually played really good football. But no one could get past, you know, we could have had Barry Sanders in Green yeah, Bay. I was just going to say, John, in case yeah. you don't know the story, we could have had Barry Sanders. We could have had a Deion Sanders. We definitely had some better options out there. There, there was a lot of better options, and, and, and that was the tough aspect of it because, because he will always be remembered of, of not living up to what the expectation and the hype was for him. But, you know, as a player, I, I – I watched Tony and, and saw it. He actually ended up having a pretty decent NFL career and, and was a pretty decent player. Never, never to the hype that was established coming out of Michigan state. Um, but he, but he had a pretty solid career. And um, I always kind of felt for Tony and, and, you know, one of the hard things is this time of year, it's draft time. There is always a top 10 list that comes out. And it was <laughs> not a top 10 list I had ever dreamed of making. It was not, not something I ever wanted to be a part of. And, um, and, and Tony's on that list as well, you know, and, and I know, you know, where I'm going with, you know, the top 10 draft busts and NFL are in Green Bay Packer history. And like I said, I, for a long time, that really stung because that was not who any of us wanted to be. And I, I, I don't know Tony personally, but I know he too, any of us were such competitive guys and, and our dreams were really to be great. And for one reason or another, whether it was injury, whether it was, you know, losing focus, whatever that story may have been, why we didn't pan out the way that we had hoped to pan out as NFL players, it didn't make it any, any less personal for us. 
And uh, none of us wanted to be bust. We wanted to be great. You know, we're, we're some of the most competitive people you've ever met in your life. And, and that was a challenge for me. And now, now I just shrug it off. You know, I, I know that list is coming out here in, in the next couple of days, or if it hasn't already been listed, but, uh, but um, you know, uh, I've been able to put everything into perspective and, you know, my love for Green Bay will never change. I mean, I have a special place in my heart for that town. And I, I loved being a Packer. I loved every second I was a Green Bay Packer. And I love reminiscing every second today about the time that I had in Green Bay, the guys I got to play with, the fans I got to celebrate with, and this. I mean, we won a championship. And uh, and that's so hard to come by. It's so incredible of an experience to, to have stood on – the field in New Orleans and won a Super Bowl. I mean, that's stuff that kids dream of and and getting to live that dream. Man, there's nothing like that. Well, John, I'm glad you uh, were able to get on the show so quick. I got to bust one of your uh, former lineman teammates uh, chops a little bit because he's a good friend of mine, Earl Dotson. Earl Earl, Earl and I always chat, you know, he's always there if I need him, if there's an emergency, he was there when I had a, TIA a couple weeks back or um, about a month and a half ago and uh it's funny he's there for that but when I ask him to be on the show something always comes up so I'm going to tease him and go man you know John Michaels your fellow lineman came on within like a three-day notice um what's going on man so I definitely get to tease him for that so thanks John I get to drop the name there for you (laughs) give him my best too Earl was one of the greats I mean obviously Earl a legend in Green Bay he was such a phenomenal right tackle I learned so much from watching him play and and just a great guy and I know since you said you're friends with him you've seen him he's spelt now yeah Earl Earl looks like a different man he looks fantastic he looks like a Andre Risen type or a Tyrone Davis back when he played you know in that group so yeah exactly recognize him at all we uh at a charity event, and he just happened to see me walk by. I was saying, hey, here, hey, you, come here. And I came out, and it was Earl, and I didn't even recognize him. Like, you probably walked right by him. Like, <laughs> yeah, and all of a sudden, he, he looks at me, goes, bro, and he lifts up the hand with the Super Bowl ring. I'm like. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway, and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. He goes, dude, I know I recognize your old man because everyone kind of knew my dad. And he goes, man, I know you. And then, yeah, we got to chat and we end up hanging out all night. We've been in contact ever since. So, some of you offensive linemen, man, that group of offensive linemen is probably one of the most gelled together, great group of guys I think that have ever existed around. I mean, there was just a great freaking group of guys that you guys just naturally meshed. There was no, you guys had that hardness to you, but there was also that camaraderie and that you know, kind of that faith base to it. I mean, there were so many biblical powerhouses to that organization during your time that you don't really see a whole lot of anymore, you know, 
Um, a guy I have pretty good contact with now, Demario Davis, almost fought the NFL last year um, over his faith-based release. It just seems like they're trying to push that stuff out, but here we are embracing every other kind of reform. You know, I, I see you're in Dallas. Are you still in Dallas now, or you were in Dallas at one point? No, I'm still in Dallas. Yeah, my practice is in Dallas. I've been here for about seven years, and and it, and it makes it fun because my office is packed full of Green Bay Packer stuff, and I, I know very well where I live. I know this is cowboy country, and it's very fun to show off the green and gold in this town. And, you know, I'll be doing surgeries, and I'll have patients show up with cowboys beanies and cowboys sweatshirts and, I mean, just head-to-toe cowboys. I'm like – you know I'm about to put a needle in your spine, right? Like <laughs> you probably want to appease the Green Bay Packers. Well, the one reason why I brought up Dallas is a couple of years back, obviously the the tragedy that happened with the police officers downtown. I was just there two weeks before that incident happened, and the fact that the NFL wouldn't allow the Dallas Cowboys to kind of bring attention to that um, was kind of a heart a heart issue for me to swallow for a little bit, knowing that you know I was just in that same town two weeks ago, and here's a guy just gunning down people just because. So it's it's interesting to see where the NFL, and it's not bashing the NFL, but to see where they've taken their stances over the years and where they've kind of let off the, the gas a little bit. And it just seems like whenever it comes to first responders or even the military, where the military is paying for these flyovers, you know, $100,000 plus a game, you know, yes, it's a recruitment tool, but at the same time, I think people just get used to those. And it's been weird the last two seasons not to have a flyover in Green Bay you know, it's something that us as fans has looked forward to, and it's a shame that they can't make that happen more often and show that support. Yeah, it's been, you know, there's been a challenging time politically, um, not only in our country, but amongst sport as well. And, and um, you know, I think every group is wanting to be recognized, and I, and I think there's an importance to that. But, you know, I, I agree with you. You can't neglect one group in favor of another. I think we, you know, we have to support our first responders, but I think we also have to recognize some of the inequities that have happened in our country as well. And um, and I, I think sometimes you have an overcorrection in one direction just to make up um, for some lack that's been there for a while, and I think everything will find its way. And, you know, the dust will settle at some point. Um, you know, once everybody's voices feel heard and everybody feels respected, um, I, I think we'll we'll find our sense of normalcy again. You know, it's been a weird time in the world, really. I mean, we look at this last year with COVID just disrupting everybody's lives and everybody's been impacted in one way or another, whether it was the loss of a loved one, loss of a job, um, or just loss of personal freedoms because of this, you know, rampant disease that's spread across this globe. and you know, everybody's world and everybody's lives have been disrupted. And, um, you know, sport fortunately found a way to be there in the midst of it. And in a time where, I, I mean, I'm friends with the Dallas Cowboys team doctors and they're like, I remember talking to them early in the summer. They're going, there's no way that we're having an NFL season. And somehow they pulled it off and, and, uh, and it was a great season. And even though fans weren't in the stadiums, you know, man, it was just fun to have that sense of normalcy. And, um, you know, there's been a lot of political unrest that's that's gone on in the midst of this past year as well, beyond just COVID. And like I said, I, you know, everybody's voices need to be heard. Um, sport can be a great uh, platform for that. And, you know, when you talk about Christian faith, it was a great platform for me to get to share my faith and, and to get to sign autographs with my verses. And, um, it gave me opportunities to get up on stages and, and share my own personal faith with thousands of people and, and my story. And, um, 
and, and still continues to do that. I mean, people are more interested in the fact that I played for the Green Bay Packers than they are that I'm their doctor right now. And because there's something just really cool about it. There's just a cool factor to sport and it just gives us an opportunity to have a platform and a voice to share. And like I said, I, I think, you know, I know it's been hard with one group winning over another, but I, I think we're going to find our normalcy in the midst of this and in, in uh, due time. Well, and I do want to applaud the NFL on another note, you know, bringing in the salute to service games, bringing in the, uh, not just breast cancer awareness, but now the all cancer awareness games, um, having lost my own mom to breast cancer. I think that was a cool thing where the NFL is, kind of allow guys to do that. And then even the design your own cleats thing that guys are doing, my cause, my cleats are really cool to see. And, you know, it's nice when there's not a $30,000 price tag on the cleats going up. I mean, if it's for charity, great, but you wonder how much the league is just kind of, yeah, we'll, we'll bump it up a little bit more. <laughs> I mean, it's all in good fun for charity, but how, uh, how sad is that that you guys didn't get to have those traditions? Like what game in today's presence would you have been a big fan of um, had it been around in your time? What experience you know, does now? I, you know, I, I do. I love the fact that there's there's really a mission and a message that's there. Um, and you know, there, there's a couple games that I didn't get to play that, that even existed back then, but I didn't have the opportunity just in my timing of being there. I would have loved to play in one of the Thanksgiving Day games. You know, especially when Madden and Pat Summerall were doing it, and they had the turducken, and I, I think that would have been a fun tradition. Um, I never got to wear the throwback uniforms and I, and I, you know, I love when they've got those Navy blue jerseys out there and the tan, you know, the khaki pants. And, um, you know, I think that's really cool. The throwback games that I didn't get to play in and, um, you know, obviously getting, getting to stand up for any one of those causes, you know, to get to wear a military uniform on the field and, and to, to really honor the men and women who have made sacrifices with their own lives. We can have the freedoms to go out and play a game for fun on Sundays and entertain masses. And it's, it's because those men and women have fought for our freedom to do so. And, and so to, to be in a game where we got to honor those people, that would have been pretty amazing. And, um, and I agree with you. I, you know, I've been in those NFL flyovers. In fact, we played in Kansas city my rookie year and Derek Thomas was a big supporter of the military. Yeah. And they had coolest military flyover in that game they had that stealth bomber fly itself yeah yeah yeah. it was the first time i'd ever seen that aircraft and so you're staying on the field just looking up going this is really cool so yeah anytime we get to honor people who who have real jobs i mean the nfl i mean it's it's hard don't get me wrong that was it was as tough of a job as you could ever imagine and we worked really hard and we put in countless hours but I would never dishonor what the men and women who put on a uniform and go stand on the front lines and, and fight for our freedom. It's nothing compared. That's a real job. We, we got to play a game for, we played a kid's game for a living and uh, they're, they're putting their lives on the lines and, and uh, we're, we're totally grateful for that. Awesome. Um, if you had to pick your fondest fan interaction from your time in green Bay, I always ask the guys cause green Bay is so unique. Is there one time with a fan that really just stood out to you either in a, a really funny way, either a really heartfelt way. Like what was an experience that you will always take out when you first think of Green Bay? Um, I mean, the, we talked about the bike riding, which is there's just nothing like that anywhere else. And, the, and that kind of uh, intimacy with the fans is, is really cool. But, you know, the craziest thing was, you know, coming in as a first round draft pick out of USC and I was single at the time and I got wedding proposals in the mail. I mean, girls would send me underwear and, 
photo. I mean, I, I got some crazy things in the mail. Um, and, uh, and so that was kind of an interesting experience. You know, I'd never experienced anything like that before in my life. And, um, and so there, there were some elements of light and I don't know if that's a green Bay thing or if that's an everywhere guy, I only played uh, green Bay. I don't know, but, uh, but that someone who had never met me before would propose marriage to me, um, based basically on what I did for a living. And, uh, you know, the fact that I, I put on a uniform and, and block people for a living and, and whatever that I can't was. believe that never happened while you're at USC. You would think the, uh, the, the gear would fit maybe a little bit nicer <laughs> there be in better taste. Who knows? You were in Hollywood. So you're, you're right in the middle of Hollywood. There's all these Hollywood actors walking around. We had the Raiders at the time were there. Um, and, and so we were kind of an afterthought at that point. There was, there was a lot more cool things to do. Um, then hang around with USC football players. So, you know, Tom Cruise was hanging out at the corner. So like, who's going to want to hang out with John Michaels if you can hang out with Tom Cruise? <laughs> but uh, yeah, and it became, a, USC became a little bit more Hollywood when Pete Carroll came in, you know, kind of the Clay Matthews yeah. era of USC. Then they were kind of the rock stars. They probably well, you got the Reggie Bush, the Leinerts. I mean, there's definitely some big names coming through that school as well. Definitely. There was a different swagger at USC during that time than when I was there. We were coming out of some pretty dark times at USC. And, you know, even though I won the Rose Bowl my senior year, um, that was the highlight of my time at USC. We were three and eight my first season. There was not a lot of love for the USC football program. So if you had to pick out one of your uh, favorite on the road memories, um, for many of your games during your your Packer career, which game stands out for you there? Well, we played in Tokyo. Uh, we played the Kansas City Chiefs in Tokyo uh, for during the preseason. My third, yeah, I think it was my third season, right before I got injured. Yeah. Um, and uh, that I'd never been to Japan before, and getting to experience that different culture and play in a different country. I, you know, I'd only played in, you know, the United States of so getting to go over to Tokyo and, and play a football game in front of a crowd that we were like spectacles to them. I remember getting on the subway in Tokyo. I look like Chewbacca. I was say you're six, seven, man. You yeah, look like a thumb. I was wearing shorts and I have kind of hairy legs and, and uh, a guy was sitting next to me and he kept kind of looking down and he reached down and he, pet my leg because he had never seen someone with hairy legs like me before. I, and I, so it was just a different experience that we would walk down the street and yeah, six, seven, you know, football players weighing 300 pounds. They're looking at you like you're something from a different planet. And, and so that was a really incredible experience. Um, you know, I've always been a big stadium fan. I love stadiums ever since I was a little kid. So Every road experience was really cool. You know, I loved going down to Chicago and playing there. Uh, playing in Kansas City, at that stadium is as loud as you can imagine. I mean, you can't even hear yourself think. And now they've got all these different, like, silent snap count things. We didn't have that back when I played. So you're trying to hear Brett give the snap count, and you can't even hear the thoughts in your own head. Um, so really incredible to play in an environment like that. Um, but favorite road experience? Winning the Super Bowl in New Orleans, that was, that's the greatest road experience I think ever. that was more of a home game, though. I think Brett's family alone filled up 20,000 this year. I think you're right. I think you're right. It, it did feel like a home game. I, that stadium rocked for us that, that day. So, speaking of, you brought up a good point, playing in Tokyo. 
what had a, or what was it like to see like Brett Favre interact there? Being that he's such a down home country boy, I just don't see him in Tokyo really hitting it off too well. Well, you know, Brett is he's one of the funniest human beings I have ever been around. So I'm going to totally butcher this, but I, I think the way you say you're welcome is something like doteshi moshi or something in in Japanese. I, I know I brutalized that, so I apologize to any Japanese listeners. But so Brett had heard that. So whenever someone came up and, you know, handed him a thing of water or asked for an arm, he'd say, don't touch my mustache. And, and so he would say that to everybody, just, you know, someone come out and they go, you know, domo arigato, he'd say, don't touch my mustache. And that was Brett's line all, all the whole time there. So Brett knew how to have fun in any environment. I mean, that's what made him such a legend is, is no matter where you put him, put him in Tokyo, Japan, uh, put him in Mexico City, put him in Chicago, Brett's going to have fun. He's going to make a laugh. I mean, you, you still see it today. They they play all these highlight reels of Brett just punking people and, and right. making pranks and nobody was safe. You know, Mike Holmgren, Andy Reid, <laughs> everybody yeah. was the target of Brett's humor and and uh and that's what made him so fun to play with. So you bring up a good point, Brett's pranks. My favorite of his is still the left-handed footballs for all the new equipment yeah. kids that they get every year. Every time you'd see a kid struggling and You'd see all the other guys get together and go, he's looking for the left-handers, right? Yeah, yep, sure was. And, yeah, <laughs> definitely a character for sure. You know, the way he welcomed me to the team, we had just had the draft, and the following weekend we had our mini camp. And um, and I was in the starting lineup right off the bat. You know, Ken was struggling with his knee. And so I get into the huddle, and, and Brett pats me on the back of the helmet and says, hey, good to have you here, kid. And we start running some plays, and people kind of snickering at me. And I'm like, look, I get I'm a rookie. <laughs> I first saw this playbook yesterday. I, I know I don't quite know my right from my left. When we get done with the drill, I take my helmet off. There's a huge bubblegum bubble in the back of my helmet. And that's how <laughs> the team. So I got to run our first drill with a big Brett Favre bubblegum bubble on my helmet. Nice. What, uh, what was your favorite Favre memory during your time there? Some of them I probably couldn't talk to on a, uh, on a <laughs> uh, radio show. That would not be appropriate. But, um, you know, that was obviously one of my favorite Brett stories. But, um, you know, the thing that I loved most about Brett was, one, that everyone was fair game. So whether it was coaches, um, you know, whether it was another player, whether it was equipment guys, whether it was a fan, whether it was a referee, um, Brett just liked to have fun and, and he made every moment fun and, and the game can have its drudgery. It can have its grind. That season can get long and Brett found a way to really enjoy every moment. He really sucked the marrow out of life. I, I, I've always told people, I said, Brett Favre had more fun playing football than anybody's ever had fun doing anything in life. And he just found the fun in it. And that was kind of his art form. And, and you saw it in the way that he played. You know, he played in a pretty unorthodox fashion. Now, he had an incredible God-touched arm that could throw bullets. But Brett improvised, and a lot of the plays that were his most famous looked like he drew them up in the dirt right before running up to the, you know, to the line of scrimmage. And that, that was really the special thing about Brett is, is he had fun, and he made the game fun for you. I mean, as a rookie and, 
you know, I struggled at times playing and protecting his blind side. And Brett was never a quarterback to curse me out or, you know, uh, you know, get up in my face. You know, the thing that Brett would do, he'd patch on the butt and go get him next time, kid. You know, and, and he was always lifting guys up and encouraging them and, and trying to bring out the best that you could be as a player because he knew that's what was going to help the team win. So you bring up a good point, and I say this candidly because I've talked to quite a few of, again, your lineman buddies that I still remain close to. If social media existed, there would have been a lot of you guys locked up. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we weren't smart enough for social media back then. so No, it's probably a good thing. I won't say any of the stories I've been told firsthand or seen myself, um, being a youngster hanging around some of you guys during that time. But, yeah, there, there was definitely – yeah. My favorite, though, is always the rookie hazing that they do with you guys. Um, it's a shame that, obviously, it's not what it used to be. But um, the meal thing is always still a big one, though, in Green Bay. I think you guys always had it at uh, Prime Quarter. I've seen it at, you know, Texas Roadhouse, some other places. But that was probably my favorite tradition when you see all the guys start to, one at a time, disappear to the bathroom. And then the guy has no idea what the hell is going on. By that time, he's alone calling his wife, going, honey, I need a ride. And we're going to be broke for the next two weeks. <laughs> We we were a little bit more gentlemanly. In fact, Homegrid didn't allow rookie hazing, so I never got really? hazing. Wow. It was, he said he said the rookies have enough to worry about trying to play football in this league. We don't want them having to worry about anything else. And then I, I got to honestly say I appreciated that. that <laughs> shaved or worse, um, but you know when we when we played the offensive line every Thursday night got together for a meal, and um, and we had a gentleman's agreement one guy was going to pay for the meal and it's changed every week. So you knew when it was your turn to come up. Now, the thing that happened is you did try to stick your neighbor. So you ordered, you know, five appetizers, <laughs> four entrees and seven desserts. And, um, you know, you'd always get on the guy who chose the cheapo restaurant to go to, cause it was like, no, that's not going to fly. We're, we're going somewhere nice and, and we're going to put on a show. And you always felt bad for the, the wait staff because, they were hustling. You know, you've got 10 offensive linemen who could put away food like you've never seen before. <laughs> and they're ordering all this food. But you knew that your bill was only going to come up, you know, once, maybe twice that year. So you stuck it to the guy when it was his turn, and you knew you were going to get stuck with it when it was your turn. But uh, it was a fun tradition, and it was really a great way for us to bond. And Brett would oftentimes join us because, you know, Brett and Frankie were so close that Brett would come out and he'd join us for a meal just to stick whoever's turn it was to pay, which is an extra meal on top of what we were expecting. And, um, and, and it was such a great tradition. And like I said, we're just in the middle of town. You're hanging out with, with the fans. And, and, and that's, what's so neat that, that the fans just were right a part of it right along with you and, and just enjoying that moment and, and sitting in awe of watching Marco Rivera eat a side of cow um, at yeah. one sitting, uh, that boy could put it away. He, uh, it was impressive to see some of these e these eating feats that some of my fellow linemen could yeah. put on. It was incredible. So, if you had to pick out your biggest crap talker in your offensive line during your time, who would it be? Who was always in someone's ear? Biggest crap talker. Wow. Um, I mean, Ross Verba was a tough guy. Ross Verba had a had a mean streak to him, and he had the physical fight during the training camp too, if he, I remember right. He did. He had a, a physical fight, and um, so Ross would definitely not take crap from anybody, and would make sure you knew where you stood if you tried to uh, throw some crap down. Um, you know, 
Frankie was always, uh, you know, because Frankie and Brett were such characters. Really, Frankie, Brett, and Chewie were the three yeah. amigos. And, and those guys were all characters. So there was always some kind of talk going on with them as well. And But really, you know, offensive linemen are not big trash talkers. They're kind of the blue-collar workers in the NFL. They, they're not expecting a lot of praise. The only time you know our name is if we screw up, if there's a flag thrown, you know. Some some announcers have done a really good job of pointing out the good things that linemen do, but uh, really back when I played, it was you heard our name when we made a mistake. Um, so guys just didn't talk a lot of trash, went out and did their job and knew that when we scored touchdowns, we knew why the touchdowns were scored. It was because we did our job opening the holes for the backs or protecting Brett and keeping him clean. Um, and, and like you said, it was a pretty unique offensive line that we had at that time, you know, with Earl and – and uh, Adam Timmerman and, and Frank Winters and, and uh, Aaron Taylor, uh, you know, all just really good, hardworking guys, you know, really good blue collar guys, not a lot of trash talk, just went in and got the job done. So, John, how much do you keep up with the current Packers offensive line? I mean, are you, are you still aware most of the guys that are kind of still here, kind of what's been happening with the current roster or not as much? With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I mean, this last year, I lost a little bit of sight. And I've, I've followed them pretty, you know, with a lot of intrigue over the years. And I've, I've always, you know, rooted the Packers on, wanted to see them have great success. And. Um, you know, and I, I remember watching guys like Mark Kausher and, and Chad Clifton and just being huge fans of theirs and, and what amazing players that they developed into and, and legends there. And, um, you know, David Bakhtiari, I, I'm always watching the left tackles and, and what a staple at left tackle Bakhtiari. Has. I was just going to ask you about him. He's on my, my note list right here going, hey, uh, what, what are your thoughts on Bakhtiari being the highest offensive lineman paid of all time? You know, I love – he he's just so fluid with the way that he plays. He he plays the game the way it's meant to be played. He makes it look effortless. He, he really is graceful playing a position that is not a graceful position. And he, he really – I love his style of his play. I love his toughness. I love his reliability. Um, you know, the knee injury was a, was a devastating thing to see. But he he's just been such a – a tremendous anchor at that left tackle position. And you know, Aaron Rodgers has appreciated every single down that David Bakhtiari has been in there protecting his blind side. I've, I've loved watching him play. What are your thoughts on the uh, Packer draft situation last year, being a former first round pick yourself, were you as shocked as everybody else when the name Jordan Love came out? And side note to that, did you happen to see the, the NFL rumor circulating? There was a, 
a picture out recently that claims that uh, at a Packers executive's desk, there was a indicator showing that Jordan Love could potentially go to the Patriots for a couple draft picks and a player to be named later. Thoughts on that one? You know, I think people were saying the same thing a lot of years ago when the Packers drafted a kid named Aaron Rodgers in the first round when we had Brett Favre, a Hall of Fame quarterback there. Um, and so there, there was a lot in the rumor mill at that time. And, you know, it would be interesting. I, what I would love to see, and, and this is just me being, being the fan that I am, I'd love to see Aaron Rodgers have a couple more MVP seasons and then Jordan Love go on to become a Hall of Fame quarterback. One of my best friends is, uh, is a huge Bears fan, and he hated the fact that we went from Brett Favre to Aaron <laughs> Rodgers. Right. I, he's just like, they can't do it again. And part of me is like, oh, just wait. You just wait. Jordan Love's going to become a Hall of Famer. He's going he's to develop into that. So, I, you know, it's, it's always interesting to see. I love to see that it actually lit a fire under Aaron, and that's how competitive guys are, that Aaron goes, really, going to take quarterback in the first round? Let me go have an MVP season just to remind you who I am. Um, and that's the fun thing about the game. Guys are just looking for any edge that they can have. You know, Tom Brady, seven Super Bowl championships under his belt, still is like, really, I'm a six-round draft pick? Really, I'm, I'm pick number 199? Let me show that all of you people who passed up on me as a quarterback in the league just how good I am. And Tell you what, if you ever, you ever meet that man, collect his autograph, because it's like I just looked at uh, some people, obviously, we know with this business that own sports shops. Just to get a basic uh, inscription that says, like, seven-time champ is like $1,300 just to write that. It's really? insane what his autograph is going for. So, yeah, to think he was a six-round draft pick, giving away his autograph, trying to. If you can imagine the guys at your camp that were six-rounders, that would have amounted to the, the success that Tom has had, yeah. Well, Marco Rivera, you know, he was our six-round pick my year of the draft, and Marco Rivera went on to have a, a phenomenal NFL career, you know, the Pro Bowls and and uh, really just developed into an amazing player. He still lives here in Dallas. You know, he finished his career with the Cowboys, and and Marco and I have gotten together uh, on occasion and, and grabbed a meal and just kind of caught up and reminisced about – about life. And, and so, you know, it's, it's amazing. And it's always fun to see the stories of the six rounders who go on to be the greats. And, and it's not as infrequent as we think, you know, um, looking at Julian Edelman, you know, speaking of the Patriots, just retiring and, and a great story of a kid who was a quarterback out of Kent State who went on to have this, you know, phenomenal, phenomenal NFL career being a Super Bowl MVP. And, um, you know, like I said, the competitiveness and, and all of us, especially if you fell later in the draft and you felt like you deserved, um, you wear that chip on your shoulder. and Guys, guys are going to go out and have a lot to prove. So we were talking just in a recent show. This is going to be like three episodes ago when we finally heard this one. But we were talking to Packer current offensive lineman Yash Nijman about um, the complexity of last year's offseason, not having any preseason at all. And now this year, the, the league goes from a three uh, or a four game preseason to a three game preseason, but now a 17 game season. What do you see as pros and cons with that as a former player, John? You know, well, considering I got injured in the preseason and going into week four, a three, three game preseason would have worked well for me and, and extending the regular season. I, you know, the tough thing is for the young players. It's, it's the guys who are the cusp players who need an extra week of development, an extra week of camp to show what they can do. 
that's where the challenge falls is, is there's, there's going to be some players who fall through the cracks who, who potentially could have been great players who may not get the opportunity because they're lacking that extra week of training camp. And, and so you're going to head into the season. The 53-man roster is going to be selected sooner. And, um, and guys are going to be left off that roster who would have deserved to have been there. And, um, and so that's going to be the hardest part about it is, is, you know, guys are young and coming out of college, the game is so much faster. You're drinking through a fire hose. The playbooks are really complex. You're learning a whole new system. The speed, the strength, everything that takes some time to get used to when you're moving into that transition in the NFL, that extra week can make, can make or break you as a player. And uh, so that's going to be the biggest challenge. What do you see on the medical side of things in terms of the uh, two-a-days? Do you think obviously getting rid of that has kind of come to the aid of the NFL players? And how beneficial would that have been for you as a player had it existed in your day? You know, I, every year I was there, you know, I was taking reps because guys were getting hurt. And so I'm taking double reps. And I know that it took a toll on me. And, and then I ended up having injuries which wasn't because of fatigue or, you know, I think it plays a role. The two-a-days were such a beatdown. You were just getting after each other at full strength. And, again, the level of competition because guys are trying to make a football team. Um, and so guys are doing things that maybe not taking care of each other as much as you would hope would happen, you know, on a team that's getting ready for a season. And um, I, I today's – training regimen would have really benefited me a lot because all my injuries occurred in training camp and, um, and boy, I, I would have loved to have had a healthy season under my belt and see what I, what I could have done. And, and, and especially had we been able to protect, you know, my knee, protect my thumb. Um, yeah. I, that's been my one regret is I, I never got to find out how good of a football player I could have been. And I, and I really felt like I could have been one of the greats and, and it had, had training camp been like it was today, maybe I had more of an opportunity to find out. So, John, let's play a game called uh, Then or Now. So you're going to compare your era versus today's era. Um, who would be stronger, today's era or your era? Stronger physically or as far as? Yeah, let's go physical first. We're going to get a mental next, but let's go physical first. Yeah, this era is way stronger physically. I mean, the things they know about nutrition, the way that they train now – uh, somebody, I look at a guy like Aaron Donald and I'm like, thank God I don't play anymore. <laughs> I don't want to ever have to block a guy like that. Um, he's an absolute specimen and he's playing against the best people and he's tossing them left and right like ragdolls. So this generation is definitely stronger than our generation. What about on the mental side of things? You know, I think mental toughness, uh, both sides are mentally tough, but I think this generation of kids who, who are playing the game now with social media and the different demands that are on them, um, you know, they have different pressures now than what we had to deal with. Um, and so I think there's an element of mental toughness that has to go along with, um, with being more politically correct now. I mean, we could say and do things in locker rooms that back in 96 that you do not say or do anymore. It, it, so I think there's an element of mental toughness from that standpoint that, that, we weren't as sensitive as this generation was like anything went, you could say anything to anybody and no one was going to get their feelings hurt by it. Um, but the mental toughness that it takes for them to navigate all the pitfalls that exist, like I said, with social media, with 
everybody having a camera in their hand. So everything that you do everywhere that you go can be recorded instantly and posted on Facebook and Instagram for the entire world to see. There's an element of mental toughness that's involved with that to really be disciplined because all eyes are on you. Um, it's, it's probably a wash. Uh, community involvement then or now? We were really involved in the community back then and, and not having been to Green Bay in years, I, I don't know what that looks like um, from that standpoint, but I think um, there's probably more opportunities now, different opportunities to be involved with the community, especially with, you know, social media and, and aspects like that. But, um, you know, we really prided ourselves in getting out in the community and going to different towns and, and playing a part in parades that they had or softball games and really wanting to, to reach out and, and, and play a role in the lives of our fans back then. So, um, you know, I felt like our community involvement was really solid. And, and I think we recognize in Green Bay how special uh, that fan base is and how special that community is. And, you know, people ask me, what's Green Bay like? And I said, it's a town built around a football stadium. Yep. And, and, and the whole town embraces that. Um, we used to joke that, you know, the best thing to be would be a bank robber in Green Bay on a Sunday because everybody's watching the Packer game. You've got free reign, you know, um, because the community is so involved in what you do. So um, I, I think our community involvement was it was incredibly strong. And, and like I said, I'm ignorant of what it's like today, but uh, I can't imagine it being that much stronger than what it was when we were there. And I put a disclaimer on here. John Michaels is not referring to people to please go rob banks or NFL he's games. No, that was the reliable. Um, <laughs> the entire community is embracing that football stadium, embracing that team, and uh, and and the town is literally a ghost town during Packer games, uh, unless you are within uh, earshot of that stadium. When I think of uh, this next question, there's a couple of players I have in mind, and once I say the question, you'll think of it. Who is the better dressed era today or your era? Oh gosh, our era. These guys wear like sweatpants everywhere. They're, you know, we were always in suit and tie. That you know was... who I'm thinking of on the defensive side right away, right? No. Uh, a certain defensive back who would always be rocking his cowboy boots that just did not look right. No. Doug Evans. Oh, yes. Always with the cowboy boots, man. Didn't oh, matter what the hell was going on. I forgot about that. I totally forgot about that. Um, but we were always, you know, we were always dressed up. I, I see these guys now all in sweatsuits or t-shirts and jeans or whatever. And I was like, no, we were always in a suit. So I, I think our air wins the, the best dressed. And Mike Wall, another guy that we, we get along with. Mike was on the show last season. And uh, yeah, just amazing to see his transformation. You talk about another transformation oh. from a, a big old dude that was driving. Remember his big old pickup truck we would always joke about? He had yeah. to help his... Uh, now wife into that thing and out all the time and everything else. And then you look at guys today and it's, yeah, kind of the he same thing. Like so, athlete now. I mean, he's just, yeah. a, he's another. doing the, the personal training thing and all that and some nutritional stuff. So yeah, just amazing to see the transformation in him. It, it's fun. You know, we always joke that guys go one of two ways. They either balloon up and become, you know, 500 pound blobs or they become these felt versions of themselves. And, I'm so proud to see so many of my teammates who have really taken great care of themselves after the game and, and lost that weight and, and are really trying to live healthier lifestyles because game takes its toll. You know, I, I see a lot of guys, uh, Dallas is a hotbed for retired pro athletes. I see a lot of guys who are 
really beat up and have not taken great care of themselves. And so I'm, I'm really proud to see a lot of my two, my teammates who are looking great and, and uh, see that they've gone down that healthy path. Nice. So John, one of my favorite traditions, the uh, team seems to have annually is the annual Christmas celebration um, over at 1265. I've seen some pretty cool gifts over the year. John, what was your favorite gift you received during your time? You, you know, I still, we still have it too. Um, I oh, got four foot tall Winnie the Pooh. Um, <laughs> and, and my daughter uh, who was born in Green Bay was a, just loved Winnie the Her bedroom was, was Winnie the Pooh all the way around. Um, and still to this day can sing the whole Winnie the Pooh song. And, um, and we still have that, that uh, Winnie the Pooh bear. It still adorns our house. So um, really cool. That was a cool gift from, from the Christmas. Who, uh, do you know who got you that one? Or was it like a random exchange? I, uh, you know what? 25 years of time, I don't recall. <laughs> and I think it was actually a random exchange. I think it was a random exchange because I don't remember a specific person giving it. So everyone probably thought it was a big joke and here you are laughing going, no, actually, that was probably the best gift I could have Loved gotten. it. Best gift, best gift ever. Yeah. <laughs> so if you had to think of your ultimate football dream, like if you could have picked your career playing out, you know, past the injury, how did you kind of, I know we talked a little bit about it, but you know, were you so with green Bay? Do you think there was an opportunity for you to maybe have left anyway after the three years um, was kind of up? Cause at the time, wasn't it mostly three year deals at the time or four? four. I had a four year deal. Um, most of them were four or five for the first round draft picks. Um, no, I mean, I love being in Green Bay. I love the legacy. I love the legends um, that were walking through our hallways. I mean, I got to know Bart Starr. I got to know Paul Horning. I got to know Fuzzy Thurston. These guys were always hanging around. And, and so you, you felt like you were living in the Lombardi days being there. And I loved the passion that the fans had with the team, you know, just the connection um, that it could be 10 below zero and guys were out there with no shirts on with their bellies painted with big G's on them, you know, cheering you on. And, and so rain, snow, sleet, shine, it's almost like a postal service, you know, commercial, but the fans are out there. And, and so my dream was, was I wanted to play 15 years in the league and I wanted to, you know, be in the green Bay Packer hall of fame. I wanted to be in the NFL hall of fame. I wanted to have one of the great careers in, in uh, Packer history and, you know, that would have been my dream. That was my plan going in. Wanted to be a Packer. I was excited to be a Packer. You know, back-to-back Super Bowls to start off my career, and it was over. And uh, but and it was definitely not the vision I had for myself in, in my career. All right, John, tough one for you now. One of my favorite questions to ask all of our former Packer guests. First of all, when you got picked by Green Bay, what did you actually really know about it? And then second of all, what was your first impression when you finally got here and said, oh, this is Green Bay? Well, the Packers had flown me out before the draft. So I had gotten to tour Green Bay um, several weeks before the NFL draft. So I'd gotten to tour the stadium. I got a chance to meet Ken Rutgers, actually. He had just oh. written a book at the time called Home Field Advantage. He uh, gave me a copy of his book to read on oh, the nice. plane home. Um, so I got to tool around the town and really get to experience a little bit of what it was like in Green Bay. Um, so, so draft day, I knew what I was coming into. I knew what the expectation was. So, uh, when my name was called, 
Paul Tagliabue got up and said, with the 27th pick of the 1996 NFL draft, the Green Bay Packers select John Michaels, tackle out of USC. We literally had slices of American cheese, and we smacked them on our forehead. <laughs> we're like, we're cheeseheads. And, and everybody in the room was just cheering and high-fiving. It was where I wanted to be. I knew what a special place that team was. My hero growing up, Reggie White, had uh, had come to Green Bay and having the chance to play with him. You know, Brett Favre, this young gunslinger who had just won uh, the NFL MVP and was just starting to peak as a, as a quarterback in the league. All the pieces were falling together, and I, I saw that there was something special we were going to be able to build and something special we were going to be able to be for a long time. So it was where I wanted to be, and it was where I dreamed I would live out my career. Was there ever a, a chance of you going elsewhere? I mean, were there any other pre-draft visits you had, or was it kind of Green Bay all the way, all the way from the beginning? Uh, Arizona, the Arizona Cardinals flew me out before the draft. The Philadelphia Eagles flew me out before the draft, um, and I think that was it. And then Green Bay. So those three programs had flown me out, and um, the Seattle Seahawks were. Uh, our coaches at the Senior Bowl. So I played in the Senior Bowl in Mobile, Alabama after my senior year of college. And the Seahawks were our coaches. And I knew there was a lot of interest there as well. And all of them had picks kind of within that range of each other. Um, so I knew some of those were possibilities. Um, and the one I was keeping my fingers crossed for was Green Bay. What was your initial first impression landing here in Green Bay at Little Austin Shovel Airport? Well, it was 85 degrees in Los Angeles when I got drafted. I was in T-shirt and shorts. And when I landed in Green Bay on April 20th, it was snowing. So I was like, wow, yeah, we're not in Southern California anymore. It's a little bit different. So my first impression was I didn't know it snowed places in April. And, and I figured that <laughs> we out. did today, oddly enough. That's why I was going to originally go with a uh, beach background to make it feel more at home. But more I decided I will stick with Lambo. <laughs> so that was the first shocking thing there. Um you know, LA is such a big town, restaurants and shops and all sorts of things. And, you know, when I got there uh, in Green Bay, you know, like I said, Prime Quarter was pretty much the fancy restaurant in town. And um, and we had a Kmart. We didn't have a Target yet. There, Like you said, there was Shopco and Kmart. Um, and that's where you could go shopping. Um, well, you had Reggie White's All Pro Shop right next door to Kmart, too. So, I mean, there was that. <laughs> was that there? No, I, I don't know if that was there yet. Uh, it was 97, 98, maybe. I think it might yeah, have been maybe, right maybe it came up. Yeah, I think it came up just a little bit while I was there. Um, and so that there was a little bit to get used to with that as well. Was You know, in L.A., you go to the beach, you go to the mountains, you have all these things. And, and you know, in Green Bay, you know, it was a smaller town. So there was some adjustment to, to where do we go eat tonight? Where, you know, unless we're going home, where, where do you want to go out to? And um, and if you want to go shop, like I said, there wasn't a Target even at that time. I, I know there is one now, but yep. uh, so it was pretty much. I love them. We're getting fancy here. I, it's getting really fancy now. I know when I went back, I I was joking with my wife. I said, our little town's growing up, you know. So, <laughs> Um, yeah, we're not yeah. 12 years behind on fashion anymore. It's only like eight years behind and the music's here within, you know, two years of it releasing and we're moving up. It is. It is. It's growing up. Well, it's cool. You see things like Microsoft attaching itself to the Packers and the new Titletown district. You see, you know, some other bigger names and groups. I mean, you see guys like Lil Wayne, the, the rap artist that's, you know, been putting Green Bay on the, na- the map and, uh, bring out songs every year and attending games. You see Will Ferrell at games. You see, 
you know, during your era was more of like the Pam Andersons were kind of like the big names that would hang out in the locker room or as years went on, I remember with Brett. What's that? Pam Anderson was in our locker room. I didn't, I didn't see that. Her and Kid Rock, I think came to a couple games. Um, Larry, the cable guy was around a couple times. I remember meeting him and spilling coffee all over myself and that was embarrassing, (laughs) but we've seen Dan is his real name. We've seen him a few times now and always such a great guy to hang out with and chat and so down to earth and, you can tell he's a Nebraska boy at home. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It, you know, it's a, it is a destination place now. I mean, I, I've told people, if, I, I don't care if you're a sports fan or not. One of the great experiences in life is you've got to go as a fan to a game at Lambeau Field. I, and I said, you know, it's one of the special places because you could be wearing a Bears jersey. And they're going to razz you a little bit in the parking lot, but then they're going to hand you a beer and a bratwurst and give you a hug and just say, hey, we're so glad that you were here celebrating football on Sunday with us. And, and, and that's a really special environment that doesn't exist a lot of places. I mean, in Oakland, they'll burn you alive if you're wearing another you know, jersey. And, yeah. and Green Bay, they just love the fact that you're a fan. I think uh, one of my favorite parts about being Wisconsin born and raised was the, uh, hey, man, it's only 10 minutes away. Literally everything in Green Bay, De Pere, Ashwaubenon, Alloway is all yep. 10 minutes away. I'm over by Thornberry Creek now, and literally we're 10 minutes from everything. It's great. It's amazing. It really is. I got to go all the way to the east side. All right, cool. Take 43 or take 172. It's that simple. So I don't think people that are not from here realize it. It was cool. We had on um, Willie Whitehead, and it was so great to hear him say, man, when we came to Green Bay, I came early and I toured that entire stadium. Like I took my time just embracing that feel, that aura, everything about it. And I think that was such a huge compliment from these guys. They're sorry, LeVon Kirkland and then uh, Willie White had also talked about from the Saints. But just to hear those guys embrace and talk about how special Green Bay really is. And even rookie guys coming in, DeAndre Swift this year talked a little bit about it too with us. Um, just about how different, you know, Green Bay is compared to any other stadium you go to. I mean, Dallas has a great stadium. I've been through that, luckily enough, a few times. Uh, Minnesota's new stadium is pretty awesome if you've never been up there either. But it's it's not like Lambeau. And if you, you could remember, because the um, stadium just started kind of being talked about with Bob Harlan coming in saying, hey, we need to renovate it. The big rumor was, oh, we're going to put a roof on it finally. And, man, the uproar it caused through generations of players and fans and officials was just alarming. And that's what makes it so special too, is, is that it's football as it was meant to be played. And, and they really held true to that. And, you know, the, even just the tradition of the Lambeau leap. And, and again, the whole point is to bring the fans and the players together and you're all in the elements together. You're all roughing it together. There's really a sense of camaraderie there. And the fans in green Bay, unlike most places, they really feel a part of the journey with the team. You know, from riding the bikes in training camp um, to having players jump up and spill their beer in their lap because we just scored a touchdown to, um, you know, like you said, braving the elements in the middle of December. Players are cold, fans are cold, and we're all in this together uh, to to really intimidate the heck out of whoever's standing there across from us. 
because we know they're really cool. All right, John, we're going to finish up here with the bath fitter rapid fire segment. Um, just random off the wall questions. First thing that comes to mind. Um, first word when you hear Green Bay, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Cheeseheads. Uh, toughest opponent? Uh, player or team? Both. John Randall from the Minnesota Vikings. His mouth every ended. time. Yep. Yeah, never <laughs> stopped. Um, toughest team that we played? Um, gosh, great question. Probably the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, Derek Thomas and Neil uh, Neil Smith having to block those guys. You know, there was no break. No, <laughs> there was no letdown. They were coming after you. Uh, favorite college and pro rivalry. Favorite college rivalry is USC Notre Dame. Um, favorite pro rivalry is is Green Bay Chicago. Um, best game you ever had, personally. Actually, my best game was my my very first start as a rookie against Seattle Seahawks. My mom's birthday. Um, had a great game, went out and just shut down the Seahawks, went out and, and beat them in Seattle, another tough place to go play. And um, and I had made a promise when I was a 10-year-old kid that I was going to buy my mom a car. And I got to deliver that car on her birthday in Seattle to her personally. Um, so great, that was the greatest game. I'll never be topped. Uh Favorite Green Bay restaurant? Um, you know, prime quarter is something special because you get to pick out your steak, you get to grill it there, and you you know you get to hang out with a bunch of people and just talk and chat and grill your steaks. Love that. That was always one of my favorites. Something I look back, you know, look back fondly on. I'm going to interrupt this real quick and say, prime quarter. If we don't get some gift cards out of you guys, but the amount of times we've set your name tonight, our actual paying sponsors are going to be so upset. So prime quarter. I'm expecting a meal pretty soon. Fuck <laughs> us up. Right. Um, John, toughest memory from Green Bay? The injury. Uh, you know, uh, it, it absolutely transformed my life. Uh, and I knew the second it happened. Um, you know, one-on-one pass protection against Monty Holiday. It had rained all weekend in Green Bay. The field was muddy. I was wearing long cleats, which I never wore. Foot stuck in the mud, and my body twisted over my knee, and I felt a pop and an explosion in my knee, and I knew I was in a world of trouble. Um, devastating, and it, and it completely altered my life. And, and in looking back in an amazing, positive way, but at the time, my life was shattered. Um, favorite teammate of all time? Reggie White. He was my hero growing up and then getting to play with him. He was my next door neighbor in Green Bay. So I got to spend a lot of time with him and Sarah. Sarah out here in King of Arms. Yeah. Yeah. So loved him and he was a brother and, and he was my absolute favorite. Um, best advice you ever received and best advice you've ever given. Let me give a caveat to that as well. Love. Ken Rutgers is still my best friend. I'm going to see him this weekend. Okay. Um, so, Good. We need him on too. So send him over. <laughs> yeah, definitely, I'll, I'll let him know. He, but no, he, he is my brother. I mean, Ken Rutgers is my absolute brother. So Reggie was my idol. Ken is my brother, and, and knows me better than any human being knows me on the planet. And uh, love him like my brother. And like I said, I'm, I'm thrilled I get to spend the weekend with him. So, um, so that's there's an A and B to my favorite. Oh, that's all right, it's gotcha. allowable. We'll, we'll let it go. Uh, favorite vacation destination? The next one. To steal a letter <laughs> from Tom Brady. Uh, my wife and I love to travel. 
and we love exploring different places and trying different foods and seeing different sites. Um, and we've, we've gotten, we've been fortunate enough to get to travel the world and, and see some really incredible places and there's a lot still left to be seen. So, um, the next one is my favorite destination. Nice. Um, favorite type of weather. San Diego, you know, 75, sunny, nice El little. Cajon, man, I know all about it. What's that? El Cajon, I know all about it. Yeah, it, it's just, it's arguably the best weather on the planet. Oh, yeah. So I love that beach weather. No mosquitoes. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's not ungodly hot and filled with mosquitoes like it is here. And, and uh, winters are mild. So, you know, you just get to enjoy the outdoors all year long. Uh, best untold locker room story that's allowable to be shared on the airwaves. Oh, because most of them are not allowed to be shared. Yeah, I know. I'm aware of most of those. <laughs> uh, you know, it, they all seem to revolve around Brett and just because he was such a character. Um, Brett put heat in my jock strap. He put yep. the bubble gum on my helmet. He threw stink bombs in the locker room. Um, you know, it was you just were waiting for what Brett was going to do next. And, uh, and that's what made it so fun. So really anything surrounding Brett Favre. And like I said, those are the only ones that I could actually mention on air that was family friendly because there's a lot of Brett Favre ones that were hysterical that are not family friendly. Um, favorite backup quarterback other than Brett Favre during your time? Doug Peterson. And I've, I've been such a fan of watching him go on and have such great success in his coaching career. And, you know, I, I was – I was rooting for the Philadelphia Eagles when, with him coaching because you just wanted to see him have success. He and Jeannie are such great people. And, um, and, you know, he was such a great guy to be a teammate with. And then anytime you get to see someone have great success beyond their playing days, it's just rewarding. And, and he's, he's been my favorite backup that, but there's a B part to that too, because you know what, getting to play with Jim McMahon and, Oh, yeah. Jim was as genuine <laughs> of a guy as you he was. Ever... He, he marched to the beat of his own drum. That's one thing I liked about Jim. You know, Jim was was totally comfortable in his own skin. Oh, yeah. And Jim just said, <laughs> this is who I am, and you either like me or you don't. I'm fine with it either way. And I, and I love that about him. You know, he, he just was someone who was truly himself all the time. You know, people go, oh, we're the sunglasses and the headbands and all that. Was that an act? And you go, no. <laughs> that's Jim. Yeah. And I loved it about him. My uh, favorite Jim McMahon story ever was sitting outside in practice one day. I think I was waiting on something from Earl or whatever. And uh, McMahon rides up on his little moped. Remember that little red moped yeah. that went everywhere. Yeah. It didn't matter where Jim was going in town. He would ride that red moped. And he walks up. He goes, hey, son, how you doing? I said, ah, it's all right. He goes, well, here's the deal. No one touching my scooter in the next five minutes while I run in there. I'll hook you up. I said, all right, with an autograph? He goes, no. Nah. Not sign your autograph. Comes back out, he hands me 500 bucks. He goes, all right, well, no one took it. And it was for 10 minutes, literally. I was like, that was the coolest McMahon story ever. Refused to ever sign anything. He goes, nah, you can buy like two of the other guys' autographs for what I gave you there. So it was just so funny that he was just so chilling down to earth like that. And just, it was Jim. You got yeah. You got. When we played in Chicago my rookie year, Jim rented a bus, brought us to his house, and had this massive meal catered. For anyone who wanted to come, and we all that one yet. at Jim McMahon's house in Chicago, having this amazing meal in his home, and and that Jim was just a generous, kind-hearted, great guy. 
Still, I shouldn't say was, is, yeah. but I haven't seen him in years, but yeah, amazing guy. Uh, player that you modeled your game after? Tony Baselli. Um, he was who I learned how to play left tackle from at USC. I backed him up for, you know, a year and, uh, and really just tried to model everything about my game to revolve around his. And, um, you know, talk about another career that got ended a little bit too short. Sure. Surefire hall of famer. Oh yeah, definitely. He's still, you know, hall of fame finalist for the last several years, but, uh, there would have been no question had he been able to stay healthy. So that wasn't the part of the game I was trying to model was the injury part, but, uh, but everything else about him, he was, he was as dominant of a left tackle in the game when he was healthy as there was. Well, and arguably, arguably one of the best uh, Jacksonville Jaguars of all time too. I mean, he oh. put them on the map. No one really? knew who, the hell that, who played there other than Tony Baselli at that time. So. Yeah. And then another great Packer backup quarterback, Mark Brunel, you know, he was the other one who, who came out and put them on the map. And the, the two of them were really close friends and, you know, quarterback and blindside. Yeah. So he's, he's who I modeled my game after. Uh, favorite piece of memorabilia that you still own, whether yours or someone else's. Um, in the background, this side um, signed by our Super Bowl championship team. Um, so all the players on our Super Bowl championship team signed that helmet back there. Um, I have two game balls um, that I earned my rookie year um, that, are, are treasured and love having those. Um, this is a pretty great piece of memory. <laughs> right That's, That's what I was a, expecting to start with, but <laughs> pretty stellar. One. But no, I mean, I, I still have uh, some gloves that I wore there. I still have, I mean, there's just some things that it just was cool. And one of the weird things, you know, having my helmets that I played in the actual helmets that I played in, in the games, you know, for 15 years of my life, I threw a helmet on every day to go to work. And, and now for the last, you know, 20 plus years, I haven't thrown a helmet on. And every now and again, I'll, I'll put that thing <laughs> on my head. You know, just Flashbacks. And then you remember, gosh, this thing's heavy. No wonder my neck was this big because I had to hold my head up with this doggone thing on it. But, um, yeah, I, I've got several pieces of memorabilia that, that are, are cherished. They're, you know, that time there, like I said, is one of the most special times of my life. What about as a... Uh... A fellow collector, like who are some of the guys that you've inherited some items through over the years? You know, I've never been a, a sports collector, so I, I don't really have any autograph cards. The one um, autograph that I have uh, was my was another one of my heroes growing up, Dave Winfield. Um, he was a San Diego Padre when I was young, and then got traded to the New York Yankees. And I have a, a Dave Winfield autograph uh, New York Yankee jersey. Oh, and nice! I, and then it's actually the only autographed anything that I have from Dave Winfield. And it was because he was the one who inspired me really to become a pro athlete. Um, I, I idolized him. I thought he played the game the right way. He played hard. He played fair. Um, and, uh, and he was such a talent that I just said, you know, if I could aspire to be like anybody's a pro athlete, I want to be like Dave Winfield. Uh, all right. So last game here, who would you rather, um, who would you rather have as a teammate? LeBron or Jordan? Jordan. Brett or Aaron? Brett. Uh, Reggie or Bruce Smith? Reggie. Um, Clay Matthews or Bruce Matthews? <laughs> uh, Bruce. Okay, good pick. Um, long story short, I'll tell you a good Bruce and uh, Clay Sr. story. One day we were at Lambeau doing Brady's book tour. 
And uh, we go up to the suite. All of a sudden, they realize Brady's not with me. Brady lost his voice. Brady went back to the hotel, and he wasn't showing up. They go, yeah, go anywhere else you can. All right. So we get into the suite. It's by the ex's family. Go to the bathroom because when they change all the suites over now, now we have bathrooms. I go in. I'm all alone in this bathroom. I go to the center stall, and all of a sudden the door opens. I hear these two big burly voices, and I look to my left, and I go, holy smokes, it's play scene here. Look to my right, Bruce Matthews. Talk about intimidation factor as a six foot one guy that's never gone beyond, you know, arena leagues. And here's two NFL Hall of Famers side by side, just going, holy crap. So, yeah, Bruce is definitely an intimidating dude, even at this time. I mean, his kid doing well still in the NFL with, uh, I believe, still with Atlanta. And just you can tell in the genes, man, that family's just built to play ball, man. Holy smokes. Yeah, 40 years of NFL standing on either side of you. I mean, yeah. Talk about an intimidation factor. (laughs) And then you see the mom and you're like, oh, hi, Mrs. Matthews. And she's so dainty. And it's like, yeah, I definitely see where you got that from. (laughs) Um, John, we'll finish up here. Um, Best advice you could ever give a young athlete, what would it be? Dream big. Dream big. And, And really for the young athlete, it's the one who wants it the most. I played with a lot of people who were, way more talented athletes than I was at at every level. And it just motivated me to work harder. It it made me hungry. I always wanted to win. So having that competitive drive and if you will outwork everybody, you'll be amazed at what you can accomplish in sport. And, and that was the only reason I had any of the success that I had was that I was going to outwork you because I wanted it more than you did. And so dream big and then work hard to achieve those dreams. Nice. Final message for all the Green Bay Packer fans out there, John. What do you want them to know, and uh, what do you want to say as a farewell here? Um, You know, I I want to go back to the quote of life happens for you, not to you. Um, You know, I think this has been a tough year for everybody. Um, A lot of people lost jobs. A lot of people lost loved ones. You know, life was put on hold for a while. Um, and sometimes a lot of things seem unfair and, and, you know, having the injury that I had in green Bay, having my career cut short, I I could have very easily gone in the tank and, and licked my wounds and said, woe is me and life's unfair. Um, but it opened up opportunities and a new door and, and I have an incredible career now. Um, and I have a chance to impact a lot of lives doing what I'm doing now. And, And that would have never happened had I not had the injury. So embrace the hardships in life. Um, I know in Green Bay, we, we had some visions of a Super Bowl last year, and that fell a little short, um, thanks to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Um, but look at every opportunity in life, look at everything that seems like a disappointment at the time, and, um, and view the possibilities that can arise out of it. Because I tell you what, as devastated as I was not to become a Green Bay Packer Hall of Famer, an NFL Hall of Famer, um, it is amazing that with a little bit of vision and a little bit of pivot shift, um, I've had an incredibly rewarding life on the other side of the NFL and on the other side of the Green Bay Packers. And, uh, and that'd be my message to the fans is, is uh, you're not a victim of your circumstances. Take every moment, find your purpose and go live life to the fullest. Awesome. John, I couldn't think of a better person to have on as a guest, especially during these uh, crazy universal times, especially when it comes to medical I hope someday I can find my gloves. I have here somewhere in my childhood home. Hopefully we can ever dig them out and find them. Um, Cause again, I always love the fact that you were 
you're never afraid to show your your positivity and your faith and let it shine through. And I think that was one of the things I admired about you and Timmer and some of the other guys was just, like I said, hanging on to that, embracing Reggie, of course, being the other um, on that team because you don't see it a whole lot anymore. So I think that's a, a true testament of the uh, the men and character that we had in Green Bay here in 96. It was really special. We did. We had, in fact, I have a picture somewhere um, of Ken Rutgers, myself, Adam Timmerman, uh, Eugene Robinson, Reggie yep. White. Uh, Don, yeah, Eugene was the other big one. Romans 1049, I think it was, or 1049, yep. And um, and we took it right during training camp, and we're all kneeling and praying together in the end zone on Lambeau Field. And uh, all of us holding hands and all of us praying together. And, and that was that 96 team. There was something special that, that bonded us and, and helped us to overcome some of the adversity that we faced that year. And, and a big reason why we had the success in, in the Super Bowl championship at the end of it was, was the men of faith who carried that team. Well, that's my goal, John. At one point, I want to get uh, maybe hopefully this year we can all kind of come together and figure that out. But getting some of those guys back together of the, the you, Eugene, Ken, just kind of bringing up that faith-based podcast for once and uh, just letting it all out there, like let the men be men and kind of put that positive vibe out there for some of this younger generation, even some of the old heads too. And I think it'd be a cool episode to have where we just kind of, like I said, talk about that and the miracles we've all been able to uh, – been blessed with and where we've been able to overcome since then as well absolutely that'd be amazing awesome well john i want to thank you for joining me here on tonight's show um joining us next week another former green bay packer defensive lineman michael montgomery for john michaels i'm your host md lovelace we'll see you next time 